Number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And yes, a great day and a great nation and a great holiday season. A holiday season where some people are already celebrating the idea that there is an economic recovery on the way. Could that be true? Well, whether it's true or not, this is a very serious season uh, legislatively because the entire world is waiting on the American Congress to authorize uh, aid to Israel, which is embattled, and to Ukraine, which desperately needs the aid and needs a continuation of the U.S. commitment to Ukraine. What does this mean politically? What does it mean substantively? Uh, there are many voices that uh, will be heard on this issue, but very few of them more influential than Bill O'Reilly, who uh, counts as the highest rated cable news broadcaster in the nation for 16 consecutive years. Uh, his website, BillOReilly.com, is followed by millions all over the world. In addition, he has authored an astonishing 18 number one ranked nonfiction best-selling books now nobody has a record like that including the historical killing series the most recent edition is actually a fascinating book and and very much not what you might expect it is called killing the witches it has nothing to do with contemporary politics it's about the horror of salem massachusetts information about the book is posted on our website at michaelmedved.com uh, are you planning a uh, a new book on uh, killing George Santos, Bill O'Reilly? No, he's my congressman. I can't <laughs> believe that uh, I actually voted for him. That was a mistake, um, and it was my fault. I didn't research the man at all. I figured that uh, in my county that he was vetted. He wasn't, and I'm glad he's out of there. He's a grifter. And thanks for mentioning Killing the Witches. After two months, we've sold 250,000 copies. Can you imagine that? Oh, come that on, really? Age? Yeah. That's, that's, nobody, well, nobody that's great news for the book business. And it's great it news is. for pe you know, people's interest in American history. We're driving that. Um, but a quarter of a million copies in two months with people being distracted by their cell phones and all of that. I mean, that's really very, very hard to do. So on the Medved show, I'm going to make an announcement. I'm writing a new book that's going to be out next September, early September, on every president. It's called Confronting the Presidents, Assessing Whether They Were Good or Bad for the Country. So we're about 60% finished with it, and we're putting it out, obviously, before the presidential election in 24. I think that's going to be a big book as well. Wow. Uh, and uh, so so how do you feel about Zachary Taylor? Does he... Uh, uh, Zach Taylor didn't really have ratings? much of a chance. You know, he uh, he died early. And, uh, he, you know, he was an honorable man. and um, But his tenure was cut short, so he really didn't have influence one way or another on the country. Um, you know who his son-in-law was, right? Yeah. His son-in-law was Jefferson Davis. You bet. <laughs> you can ask me any history question you want. Medvid and I will ace it. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. But again, what's interesting about a book like that is most uh, 
people in the country probably never even know we had a president named Zachary Taylor, or That's they right. don't know the name of the worst president in all of American history, who, in my opinion, is clearly Franklin Pierce, uh, partially because he James, was too James drunk Buchanan to do his was job. Worse. It's and close, you think Buchanan but, was worse? Yes, because Buchanan took over from Pierce, as you know, and the South was running wild. They had a chance, the federal government had a chance to tamp down the rebellion. And Buchanan sat on his butt for four years and did nothing, nothing. And when Fort Sumter was, uh, they knew they were going to be sieged, they asked the federal government to resupply them, and he didn't send anything down, Buchanan. The worst by far. Biden is actually worse than Franklin Pierce. Biden is the oh, second worst president this country has ever had. And people will start to see that more uh, when he leaves office and the damage that he has done in three short years to this nation is almost incalculable. Uh, okay. Uh, concerning that damage, one of the issues that is very much on the table right now is the attempt by the Biden administration to secure aid to Israel, which Israel needs, and uh, to secure a continuing flow of support for Ukraine so that Ukraine uh, doesn't end up losing the war and losing a quarter of its uh, uh, land area to Russia. Um, do you... Uh, do you think that it is important for Congress to reach a decision? It seems to be the decision that's supported by Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, but uh, they are already prepared to make some concessions on the immigration issue. Uh, where does Bill O'Reilly come down on that? Well, the last I got, dispatch I got, was about 10 minutes before we went on the air. The vote is going to be held tomorrow, Schumer says. Um, the Republicans are not going to uh, vote to give Ukraine and Israel any money unless the Democrats vote to stop the border madness and tighten up the visa situation. And Schumer says he will not do that, that he's going to introduce a bill that doesn't have any border component in it. Therefore, it will fail. And, um, you know, look, if I'm in Congress, I am not voting for Schumer because this national security issue at the border is way worse than anybody thinks it is. And I live in New York City where the city is being bankrupted by the migrants now coming here, literally bankrupted, so they can't um, hire any more police or firefighters, if you can imagine, a city of 8 million people. Um, so I think it's a compromise that you would send the aid. The Republicans will vote for that if the Biden people tighten up the visa process, and there's no reasons why they should not. Not one reason on this earth why they should not. So right. So that's where we so, are. So it, 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 is it not possible that uh, there would be uh, two bills, one passed by the House that would include the immigration provision, which I know yeah, but that, that's not going to get anywhere. Um, look, Schumer is the problem. And as long as Schumer um, refuses to take any responsibility at all for the southern border madness, then we're going to be in a mess. I support aid to Ukraine, although I know some of that aid is stolen and not used the way it should be. There's no oversight at all. Once that money and once the munitions reach Ukraine, we have no say about it. And Ukraine is a corrupt country, always has been, hasn't changed. But the threat from Putin is far worse than the internal workings of Ukraine. I support Israel. 
um, Israel has to break Hamas, has to defeat them in a way where they cannot um, murder women, rape women. They have to break them. And uh, so I support both theaters. But the U.S. border is causing and will cause in the future, as one of the things I meant, when Biden leaves office, you're going to see all the unintended consequences of this open border catastrophe with the fentanyl and the heroin and everything else flowing in here. Um, You've got to, and the only way that the Democrats uh, are going to cooperate on the border is if you tie it into Ukraine and Israel. Okay, so uh, again, this this appears to be uh, what I think most people recognize needs to be done. We'll see about what happens with the vote tomorrow in the Senate that you're talking about. When we come back, I, I want to talk about some of the long-term prospects for this campaign coming up uh, and uh, whether you believe that uh, President Trump, who's not debating tomorrow night, uh, the four candidates who are debating are Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, but whether or not Trump should end up debating Biden Uh, whether Biden will agree to it, Trump will agree to it, and what is the likely role of third-party candidates, including Cornell West and Robert Kennedy Jr., who scores 14 points, 14 percentage points, in the latest national poll. What's the impact of those third-partiers going to be on shaping this election? We'll be right back with the one and only Bill O'Reilly here on The MedMed Show. Just hear the sleigh bells tingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Come on, and on the Michael Medved Show, joined for this holiday season by Bill O'Reilly, who uh, is followed by millions of people who log in uh, all the time to BillOReilly.com. Uh, his most recent number one bestseller is Killing the Witches. The Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. It's posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. And what's fascinating about this book is that it actually gives you a very different portrayal than if you saw the movie or the play, The Crucible, any other stuff about the Salem witch trials. It shows you just how serious some of the hysteria was. And the hysteria that involved different views of witchcraft. It's a fascinating story and well worth checking out. The book has already sold an amazing 250,000 copies. Uh, Talking about best-selling copies of the book and demonic possession and witchcraft, we were talking off the air, and I don't mean to uh, uh, let out any information from privileged conversations, but I asked uh, Bill O'Reilly if he's uh, talked to President Trump recently. And he said, yes, And uh, but you used a word uh, which I think is unusual. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it means here. You said he's a little discombobulated right now. And yeah, you said I you'd mean, explain. He's way ahead in the polls and doesn't really have any competition as far as primary season is concerned. Um Unless there's some other stuff that comes up. So he'll win, but 
every day of his life he has to be concerned about these five court cases against him. And they affect his family, they affect everything, every part of his world. So just put yourself in his shoes. So you, you're you running for president, and that takes a lot of energy and, and a lot of time. And then you have to turn around and, and talk to 20 lawyers a day about X, Y, and Z. It gets to be overwhelming, and I think that the president, the former president, a bit overwhelmed at this point. That's That's what I picked up. He was in good spirits when I spoke with him. And I never offer advice to anyone uh, except my kids um, unless they ask for it. I think that's a good rule of life. And, he, you know, occasionally he will ask my opinion and what would you do and that kind of thing. Um, but if he doesn't, I don't give it. And particularly to a sitting president, you know, when he was in office, if he asked me, I would tell him the truth because I always do that. And sometimes I say stuff he doesn't like. Sometimes my analysis on radio, television, and he doesn't like it because he wants, <clears throat> excuse me, loyalty above all else, and he, he doesn't want um, criticism. He doesn't like that, doesn't respond to it. That gets him in trouble because he lashes back when he feels he's criticized, where um, he would be better off, in my opinion, if he ignored a lot of the criticism because it's just stupid. Um, but anyway, uh, he is in a unique position in our history. Uh, he may be convicted of, uh, you know, the document thing, even while Joe Biden gets a complete pass on it. Um, I don't know the intricacies of both cases. I'd have to see the depositions. Um, but still, um, the MAGA people and a lot of Republicans don't care. They feel he's a political victim, victim of a witch hunt, which is one of the reasons I wrote Killing the Witches, because we do have them today. Um, and um, Trump is a formidable competitor for 24. Well, he certainly is that. But uh, would would you advise him or have you hinted at least with your advice? You say you'd only give advice when it's asked for. Uh, with all these court cases, and they seem, seem to get deeper and more serious and more complicated every day, uh, what... What's the right way to handle it? He hasn't been ignoring it or moving beyond it. He seems to be, as you indicated, uh, deeply involved with each of those cases, including really strange cases like E. Jean Carroll or the original uh, case uh, uh, involving uh, the the claims of uh, blackmail to a porn star. Uh, what should he do? Well, the best strategy, and this comes from my personal experience, is famous people are going to be attacked. If you are famous and or wealthy in America, you will be attacked, mostly through the law, um, our, our legal system, but other ways as well, the media, whatever. You make a statement about whatever attack it is, if it rises to a certain level, and then you let your lawyers handle it. So that is my advice, not only to Donald Trump, but everybody else. If you get emotionally involved in it, it kills you. It just sucks your energy right out, and it gives your people who hate you more material. So why do that? Let your lawyers handle him. You, he has to pay millions of dollars to his lawyers to defend him. And you make your statement. You put it in writing so anybody can see it. And then you defer to 
the attorneys. That's how I would handle it. Uh, what about the third-party candidates? You did a column uh, recently on Joe Manchin. He's not a candidate yet. A lot of people think he will be with the <clears throat> no-labels nomination or maybe just on his own. But you already have Robert F. Kennedy as an independent candidate, and you have Cornell West and Jill Stein is running with the Green Party. And uh, those votes add up. Uh, are they going to help shape the outcome here? Well, latest poll yesterday from Harris um, says that uh, Trump increases his lead over Biden with uh, RFK Jr. Yep. And um, the other guy, brother, what, what's uh, Cornel Cornel West. Block it? Cornel brother West. West. Yes. yes. <laughs> Brother West is I'm a sure he's, he, you're, you're backing his candidacy, right, Bill? I actually like him. I mean, I've, I've <laughs> had him on a number of times on my programs. He's pretty amusing. Um, so Brother West has got two, and RFK Jr. has got 13. Um, but neither of them are a threat. They're not going to win, and neither will Manchin. Even Manchin running on a third ticket won't win. But I think all three of them would hurt Biden more than Trump, because Trump's support is so rock solid, um, whereas Biden's isn't. Even the people who say they'd vote for him, you know, if they had somebody else to go to, like if Nikki Haley ran on the Republican ticket, she'd probably get more votes than Trump, because there'd be crossover votes from women in particular from the independent Democratic precincts that would vote for her. And so... You're, you're in a position where Trump's support is rock solid at about, ooh, 40 percent, maybe 38 percent. Not enough. And he's got to, you know, at least bring in six or seven percent more people who didn't vote for him last time. Okay, in terms of bringing know, in people. I don't people... know if you do that by relitigating the 2020 election, which is what he's doing. Okay, you have uh, just a moment about a special offer that's going to be available at BillOReilly.com. Yeah, look, we feel sorry for uh, working people in America. You know this, Michael. If you've seen your insurance bills and your premiums go up double and your utilities and everything else, it's just insane. So what should they do? Go to BillOReilly.com. We have great Hanukkah and Christmas gifts, very reasonably priced. You'll like them. You'll make other people happy. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you, Bill. This is to alert everybody. We have coming soon some great big news about the Michael Medved show and the years ahead. Uh, you can sign up at michaelmedved.substack.com to be among the very first to know specifically what's happening. Uh, check it out. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com uh, to be the first to know. And uh Tomorrow, we're going to be speaking to uh, David Frum, who has uh, uh, written a, an extremely controversial piece called The Danger Ahead. And what is he talking about? He's talking about 
what a second term for Donald Trump would look like. And uh, one of the things that I know many people would appreciate about a second Trump term is that uh, it would mean the replacement by whom we don't know, uh, but a replacement of Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States. She just broke a record. It's uh, she's already broken records for having some of the lowest approval ratings of any vice president. I mean, and we've had vice presidents who have resigned in the midst of scandal, like Spiro Agnew, who was elected vice president twice, uh, serving with uh, President Richard Nixon. Uh, but she broke a record, actually, of a, another two-term vice president, John Calhoun. It's a 191-year-old record. What's the record? She cast the most tie-breaking votes of any vice president in history. What does that mean? It means the Senate is, well, incredibly close and uh, waiting for what is extremely likely to be a, a Republican takeover of the Senate where the uh, vote right now, it's uh, uh, 51 Democratic senators, 49 Republican senators. And actually, there are a few people who are technically independents in there with the Democrats. Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who's no Republican, and uh, Kirsten Sinema, who was elected as a Democrat. She's also now technically an independent. In any event, this is what it sounded like with Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, uh, breaking the record for John C. Calhoun, who was vice president both for John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson, and ended up resigning in the middle of his second term. Um, uh, why? Because, well, it was a prelude you could say, some 20 years in advance to a secession, but that's a different story. Here's the sounds of Kamala Harris's great record-breaking moment. Are there any senators in the chamber who wish to vote or change a vote? If not on this vote, the yeas are 50 and the nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative, and the motion is agreed to. Madam Vice President. Majority Leader. Today is historic. Vice President Harris has just cast her 32nd tie-breaking vote, the most tie-breakers ever. I join all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle thanking the Vice President for her leadership and for making the work of the Senate possible. The record Vice President Harris sets today is significant not just because of the number, but because of what she's made possible with tie-breaking votes. Without her tie-breaking votes, there'd be no American Rescue Plan, no Inflation Reduction Act, and we would not have confirmed many of the excellent federal judges now presiding on the bench. Every time duty is called, Vice President Harris has answered more than any other vice president in our nation's long and storied history. Okay, uh, th this doesn't guarantee uh, that she is going to have statues or buildings named after her. Uh, John C. Calhoun, of course, was a, a profoundly convicted uh, advocate of slavery. He believed that slavery was the natural state of affairs, and he was a slave owner, and he defended slavery and wanted to see it spread everywhere. Um, but uh, I, she, it's ironic that the vote that she just broke uh, the tie on 
was a confirmation of a judge uh, to the U.S. D.C. District Court, and uh, the judge was named Lauren Ali Khan. So I know almost nothing about her, but congratulations on that to the Vice President of the United States. Meanwhile, on the other part of Capitol Hill, not the Senate, where the Vice President presides, but the House of Representatives, there was a, a committee hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. And Elise Stefanik, who is the uh, third-ranking Republican in uh, the House of Representatives, uh, she uh, is chair of the conference. She very enthusiastically went after the president of Harvard University and Claudine Gay. And uh, the confrontation between them, some real sparks on Capitol Hill, clip 16. A Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African-Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech... It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African-Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes extends. or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Okay, but she's not talking about actually using her position as a president of the nation's oldest and in many ways most influential university using her position to do something about that abhorrent hateful speech uh the only solution intifada revolution are you kidding me the uh, colloquy with elise stefanik who did an excellent job on this uh continued this is clip 16. do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to harvard's code of conduct or is it allowed at harvard it is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you that testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. You and I both know that's offensive. not the case. You are aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? 
As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. Okay, uh, again, good for Elise Stefanik. By the way, a lot of people, uh, because she's from New York and because she has an Eastern European name, Stefanik, a lot of people think she may be Jewish. She's not. She's Roman Catholic and a patriotic American opposed to the intifada idea. We will be right back with more on conflicts of values coming up on the MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, yes, there was a hearing today. We played you part of it with Elise Stefanik uh, going after Claudine Gray, who is gay, who is the uh, new president of Harvard, who refused to answer her questions. Her questions were very basic. If there are people chanting slogans on the Harvard campus, uh, slogans that call for uh, mass murder, of people based upon their ethnicity or based upon their religious orientation, if they are chanting slogans like uh, the only solution, Intifada Revolution. Uh, and Intifada is a, a, a violent uh, anti-Jewish spasm uh, that claimed literally thousands of innocent victims in Israel. Uh, there are all kinds of people. I mean, I've told the story before about uh, a, a an emergency doctor in uh, Jerusalem who uh, was having coffee and, and tea with his daughter on the day of her wedding day. And uh, they both were blown up as part of the intifada by a suicide uh, bomber in a uh, little coffee shop in uh, uh, Jerusalem. In any event, the, uh, uh, there was a press conference after the uh, hearings, and the hearings included uh, the president of Harvard and president of MIT and, uh, and, and more. And uh, there was a uh, group of Jewish students who did a press conference to denounce anti-Semitism on campuses. One of them was a student at New York University, NYU, uh, whose name is Bella Ingber. Here's what uh, she had to say, clip 17. Being a Jew at NYU is walking to class and passing torn and defaced posters of innocent hostages with the words occupier and murderer written across their faces. It is going to Bope's library to study and being interrupted by unauthorized protests where students and faculty call for a globalized intifada revolution, an incitement to violence against Jews everywhere, and a call for the annihilation of the Jewish state and my friends and family who live there. Being a Jew at NYU is being surrounded by students and faculty who support the murder and kidnapping of Jews because after all, as they say, resistance is justified when people are occupied. It is being surrounded by social justice warriors and self-proclaimed feminists whose calls for justice end abruptly when the rape victims are Jews. Being a Jew at NYU has meant being physically assaulted in NYU's library by a fellow student while I was wearing an American-Israeli flag and having my attacker still roam freely throughout the campus. 
being a Jew at NYU is experiencing how diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a value that NYU extends to its Jewish students. Okay, this is powerful. It's powerful to me because uh, my our oldest daughter was a uh, a student at NYU. She got her second master's degree at uh, New York University, and uh, there is more plus her name is bella ingber my grandmother my mother's mother was bella uh, in any event she continued uh with her testimony listen since october 7th the unmistakable anti-semitism that i've experienced on campus is reminiscent of the jew hatred i've heard about from my grandparents holocaust survivors who experienced firsthand the deafening silence of their neighbors in Poland and Germany when the Nazis first rose to power. As anti-Semitic rhetoric and actions became more and more acceptable, their communities' shops were looted, their synagogues defaced, and finally, their families were taken away and perished in concentration camps. Today, in 2023, at NYU, I hear calls to gas the Jews, and I am told that Hitler was right to the NYU administration. You are not free to selectively enforce your own rules. You are not free to refuse your Jewish students the same protections that you extend to others. NYU has adopted the International Holocaust Remembrance Association's definition of anti-Semitism, which recognizes that calls to harm Jews in the name of radical ideology, calls to eradicate Israel, to deny the Jewish people their right to self-determination in their ancestral homeland is anti-Semitism that is punishable under NYU's code of conduct. I am a proud Jew and I am a proud Zionist. I am the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. We are not going anywhere. And uh, powerful words which uh, should echo everywhere. There were also protesters outside the UN recently but these were not anti-Israel protesters uh, the report says yesterday a crowd of several hundred women gathered near the United Nations uh, yesterday holding Israeli flags and posters that read rapists are not freedom fighters a line of women were dressed in bodysuits stained red at the groin and the breasts with tape covering their mouths as protesters chanted me too unless you are a Jew and rape has no context uh, Rabbi Joanna Samuels chief executive of the Marlene Meyerson Jewish Community Center in Manhattan thanked the group for meeting outside of an institution that has lost its moral compass and then addressed the UN's leadership in failing Israeli women you have failed all women they gathered in front of the U.N. complex in New York <clears throat> a few hours ahead of a presentation to be held inside focused on sexual-based violence war crimes by Hamas during the attack on Israel on October 7th, according to a description of the event sent to diplomats, women's rights activists, and others. The presentation was organized by Israel's delegation to the U.N., and several Jewish groups and was not sanctioned by the UN itself. The groups contend that women rights organizations and the UN, which are otherwise committed to condemning the use of rape as a weapon of war, have insufficiently criticized Hamas. They haven't criticized Hamas at all. 
and as allies of committing uh, widespread sexual viol- uh, violence during the attack. And again, one of the things they found out about the women who have been released is that those crimes continued against hostages, uh, some of whom were very young. Uh, This is uh, appalling, and it's important that it gets coverage and attention. Um, Many of the activists say that uh, too little credence has been given to what they believe was a pattern of rape. Speakers at Monday's event, organizers said, would present evidence of the atrocities. Hamas officials have argued that any such violence was committed by other armed groups that followed Hamas into Israel that day. But witness testimony and documentary evidence, including videos posted by Hamas fighters themselves, refute many of these claims. Since the tragic massacre of the October 7th terror attack in Israel, we have heard and witnessed countless testimonies and experiences involving women and girls, the event description said. Yet no special session was initiated within the United Nations to address these war crimes, and many women's organizations remain silent. Uh, This goes to an idea that has been a very big problem in the United States, is that uh, generally there are many people on the left and sometimes even some people beginning to show up on the right who use politics as a substitute for religion. One of the characteristics of religion, of any reputable religion, certainly of Christianity, uh, certainly of Judaism, and yes, at least theoretically of Islam, is there are questions of morality that go beyond politics. And that all of a sudden, because you may be, quote, on the right side politically, it doesn't give you the moral right to take hostages and to rape them and degrade them. This was one of the characteristics of ISIS. ISIS captured people who were even the wrong brand of Muslim uh, and, and reduced them into sex slaves. I mean, the stories are hideous, and they are similarly hideous regarding Hamas. And uh, the uh, another piece in the New York Times, slow response to reports of Hamas sexual assaults stirs activist c- criticism. Well, isn't that criticism appropriate and deeply appropriate? And we're coming up to yet another Republican debate. But uh, there is one candidate who didn't qualify for the debate, and he has just dropped out of the race. What does that signify? Where are we going in terms of politics and the latest concerns about what President Trump says he will do if he is re-elected for another term in this greatest nation on God's green earth? 